Ezekiel chapter 26, verses 1 through 21. In the eleventh year, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, because Tyre said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gate of the peoples is broken, it has swung open to me, I shall be re replenished now that she is laid waste. Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and I will bring up many nations against you, as the sea brings up its waves. They shall destroy the walls of Tyre, and break down her towers, and I will scrape her soil from her, and make her a bare rock. She shall be in the midst of the sea for a place for the spreading of nets, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. And she shall become plunder for the nations, and her daughters on the mainland shall be killed by the sword. Then they will know that I am the Lord." For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses and chariots and with horsemen and hosts of many soldiers. He will kill with the sword your daughters on the mainland. He will set up a siege wall against you and throw up a mound against you and raise a roof of shields against you. He will direct the shock of his battering rams against your walls and with his axes he will break down your towers. His horses will be so many that their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen and wagons and chariots when he enters your gates as men enter a city that has been breached. With the hoofs of his horses he will trample all your streets. He will kill your people with the sword, and your mighty pillars will fall to the ground. They will plunder your riches and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. Your stones and timbers and soil they will cast into the midst of waters." And I will stop the music of your songs, and the sound of your lyres shall be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock. You shall be a place for the spreading of nets. You shall never be rebuilt, for I am the Lord. I have spoken, declares the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, Will not the coastlands shake at the sound of your fall, when the wounded groan, when slaughter is made in your midst? Then all the princes of the sea will step down from their thrones, and remove their robes, and strip off their embroidered garments, they will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground and tremble every moment and be appalled at you. And they will raise a lamentation over you and say to you, How you have perished, you who were inhabited from the seas, O city renowned, who was mighty on the sea. She and her inhabitants imposed their terror on all her inhabitants. Now the coastlands tremble on the day of your fall, and the coastlands that are on the sea are dismayed at your passing. For thus says the Lord God, When I make you a city laid waste, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you and the great waters cover you, then I will make you go down with those who go down to the pit, to the people of old, and I will make you to dwell in the world below, among the ruins from of old, with those who go down to the pit, so that you will not be inhabited. But I will set my beauty, or set beauty in the land of the living. I will bring you to a dreadful end, and you shall be no more. Though you be sought for, you will never be found again, declares the Lord God. Now there's a lot we're going to pull out from here. And at the same time, keep moving to hopefully, like I said before we started our recording, hopefully we're going to cover three chapters tonight. Go back to verse 1, though, and look where it says, The eleventh year on the first day of the month. This is 586 B.C. when this is happening. Remember, uh, Ezekiel keeps track of time from the time that he was taken captive. And so he's been counting for how many years it's been and how many days and how many months from when he was taken captive, and he's in Babylon. This makes this right here 586 B.C., does anybody remember anything else that happened in 586 B.C.? The final destruction of Jerusalem. Remember the final siege, the third wave of Nebuchadnezzar against Jerusalem started in 588 and culminated in 586. 
Now, when this prophecy is given to Ezekiel, actually the siege of Jerusalem is going on right now. They're in the final parts of it because, and we're not going to take the time tonight to show you that because we'll get to that when it's time. But the Jerusalem, the final siege of Jerusalem ends when the city is destroyed on the 11th year of Ezekiel's capture, but on the 10th day of the fifth month. Again, I'll show you that later. But on the 10th day of the fifth month of the 11th year of Ezekiel's captive, captivity is when Jerusalem falls. So when he gets this prophecy, Jerusalem is under siege right now while this is going on. But as you remember, right now he's been struck mute. Remember, he's not allowed to preach to the people of Israel and the captives. And during the whole time they're under siege, he doesn't preach to the Jews anymore. But he's been given prophecies about the Gentile nations. So he gives this prophecy against Tyre. Remember, Tyre, we always hear of Tyre and Sidon together. We'll see that a little bit more later on tonight. But Tyre was in the area of Phoenicia, in the area of the Philistines and all. Tyre actually was composed of a couple of areas. The coastland right there by the Mediterranean Sea. And also this, there was an island fortress that was off as well that was part of Tyre. Um, Ezekiel's prior, prophecy about Tyre is tied to Tyre's attitude towards Israel's judgment. Do you see there in, in verse uh, uh, 2? It says, Son of man, because Tyre said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gate of the peoples is broken. It is swung open to me. I shall be replenished now that she is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm against you, O Tyre, and I'll bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. In other words, they, Ezekiel, sorry, Ezekiel's talking about the fact that through God, God through Ezekiel showing that because when Jerusalem was being under siege by Nebuchadnezzar, the attitude of Tyre was, now's our chance to take over the land. And God knew that, and he was paying attention to that. And he says something here that's very interesting, and you may not have caught it. I want you to catch it, though, so you'll be up to speed with where we're going tonight. God said, because you think now we're going to attack Israel, and we're going to take that land because God's wiping it clean, because of that, I'm going to bring nations against you as the sea brings waves. Did, did you catch the picture? There's going to be a nation, and then another nation, and then another nation. Actually... God promised to bring many nations. At this point, the first nation or the first wave had already happened. And that was um, back in Isaiah 23. We won't take the time to read it tonight. But if you write down Isaiah 23, you'll find the prophecy about Assyria coming to attack um, um, Tyre. And they did that prior to this. That was in the late 600s is when the Assyrians attacked Tyre. The next wave, though, we can see from this prophecy is going to be who? Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And we see how he's going to send Babylon. And he's very specific. I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon down from the north. The Babylonians came and attacked Tyre from 585 B.C. When they finished destroying Jerusalem, they came down to Tyre in 585 B.C. And all the way from 585 until 573 B.C., they actually attacked Tyre. And so for during those years, that's what they did. But they didn't totally, totally wipe out um, Tyre. If you know anything about the history of what all went on, uh, the Babylonians destroyed all the cities of the seacoast. But again, like I told you, there was this island fortress that was out there in the water that they had, there were some people that were, had protected themselves in it, and Nebuchadnezzar wasn't able to conquer it. But this prophecy that we've been, we read tonight about how Nebuchadnezzar is going to do this, and his horses are going to be so many, and there's going to be so much dust, and there's going to, the sound of them is going to just shake your walls. If you notice, though, look at verse 12. Let's go to verse 11. With the hoofs of his horses, he will trample all your streets. Who are we talking about still? Nebuchadnezzar. He will trample all your streets. He will kill your people with the sword, and your mighty pillars will fall to the ground. But then the prophecy changes. 
Do you see how the, the, the tense changes? Now it's they. They will plunder your riches and loot your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses, your stones and timber and soil. They will cast into the midst of the waters. If you know anything, and we touched on it last time we were here, who came after Babylon to attack? Alexander, Greece. Alexander the Great came. And when Alexander the Great came, he took the rubble from the cities that had been destroyed by Babylon, and he threw it into the water and made a causeway from the coastland out to that island fortress. And that's how they were able to conquer it. If you want to go do some research, you can find about it. It's an interesting, if you like history and battles and how nations can take care of other nations, it's a great study. But isn't it interesting that so many hundreds of years prior to Alexander the Great coming, God prophesied, they're going to break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses and your stones and your timbers and soil. They will cast into the midst of the waters. Going to take your rubble and throw it into the water, which is exactly what he did to build the causeway out to that city. And that's how Alexander the Great conquered Tyre. Ultimately, if you look at verses 19 through 21, you'll notice that it, the prophecy changes as well. It doesn't just talk about the waves of nations that are coming to attack and Babylon and Alexander the Great. Verses 19 through 21, let me read it to you again. Listen, because now we're seeing about a final ultimate destruction. For thus says the Lord God, when I make you a city laid waste, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you and the great waters cover you, then I will make you go down with those who go down to the pit to the people of old, and I will make you to dwell in the world below among ruins from of old with those who go down to the pit so that you will not be inhabited. But I will set beauty in the land of the living. I will bring you to a dreadful end, and you shall be no more. Though you be sought for, you will never be found again, declares the Lord God. Now, right now, Tyre's not much of a city. It's actually a little village, pretty much, is all that's left. But at the end, when he brings his final judgment on the nations, Tyre will not be inhabited ever again. And as we see here from the prophecy, during that time when Jesus comes and judges the nations, Tyre will not only not be inhabited, what's he going to do to it? It's going to cover it with the waters. Now, you remember back at, in our study of Revelation, how there's going to be this earthquake? And what happens to all the islands and the seacoast? They disappear. They disappear. But look in the midst of this prophecy in verses 19 through 21 about the final destruction of Tyre. There's a little promise about Israel. It says, but I will set beauty in the land of the living at the end of verse 20. And that's talking a little hint, which you're going to see later on in our study, about how he's going to bless Israel when he's judging the nations. Now, sadly, Tyre, if you have done a Bible study on this, had not always been an enemy of Israel. Most of these nations that we've dealt with have been enemies of Israel from the beginning. But I'm going to show you from Scripture tonight that Tyre had not always been an enemy of Israel. Actually, they had been an ally of Israel for many years. Let's go to the first time you see Tyre mentioned in the Bible, and that's in Joshua chapter 19. Go to Joshua chapter 19 and look at verses 24 through 31. This is when the nation of Israel has gone into the promised land for the first time and the division of the land and which tribes get which parts. In Joshua 19, look at verses 24 through 31. It says, The fifth lot came out for the tribe of the people of Asher, according to their clans. Their territory included Helkath, Hali, Betan, Akshvath, Alamelech, Ahmad, and Mishai. On its west, it touches Carmel, 
and Shihor Libnath, and then it turns eastward and it goes to Beth Dagon and touches Zebulun and the valley of Ifpathel, northward toward Bethleth, can I say that one, Bethlehem, and Negai, or Neil. Then it continues in the north to Kabul, Ebron, Rehob, Hammon, Cana, as far as Sidon the Great. Then the boundary turns to Ramah, reaching to the fortified city of Tyre. Then the boundary turns to Hosa, and it ends at the sea. Mahalab, and Aksib, and Uma, and Afik, and Rechab, and 22 cities with their villages. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the people of Asher, according to their clans, these cities with their villages. So when God brought them into the promised land, Asher got all this property that was the Canaanite land prior, and they named all the cities of the Canaanites that they got. And his boundary came all the way to the border of Tyre, the fortified city. Now, during David and Solomon's reign, Tyre was an ally. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to look at just two verses, verses 11 and 12. It says, And Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons, who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. So when David builds his first house, remember David built his own house first, and then later on tried to build the temple, but God said, no, that's Solomon's job. But when he had his house built, his nice big palace, the king of Tyre sent not only the timbers from his land and the nice fine cedar trees that were in his land, but he sent what? The workers, the, the carpenters as well, come to do the work and to work with the wood as a gift to David when he became king. Go to 1 Kings. Keep turning to the right in your Bible there. Go to 1 Kings chapter 5 and look at verses 1 through 12. It says, Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon when he heard that they had anointed him king in the place of his father. For Hiram always loved David. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, You know that David my father could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. So I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord said to David, my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. Now, therefore, command that the cedars of Lebanon be cut for me, and my servants will join your servants, and I will pay you for, pay you for your servants such wages as you set. For you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. As soon as Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day who has given to David a wise son to be over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have heard the message that you have sent to me. I am ready to do all you desire in the manner of cedar and cypress timber. My servants shall bring it down to the sea from Lebanon, and I will make it into rafts to go by the sea to the place you direct. And I will have by, uh, them broken up there, and you shall receive it, and you shall meet my w wishes by providing food for my household." So Hiram supplied Solomon with all the timbers of cedar and cypress that he desired, while Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cores of wheat as for his household and 20,000 cores of beaten oil. Solomon gave this to Hiram year by year, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised to him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. So here we see when the, temp the temple was built, where did the wood come from? It came from Tyre. 
Not only that, the king of Tyre was excited about being able to help build the temple for the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, he said. Blessed be God who's given David a wise son to do all this. He was an al- they were an ally of the nation of Israel. Go to 1 Kings chapter 9. Look at verses 26 and 27. said, King Solomon built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea, in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent with the fleet his servants, seamen who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir and brought from there gold, 420 talents, and they brought it to King Solomon. So Solomon's out there doing some of his endeavors. Hiram finds out about it and says, hey, I want to help you out. I want to help you go do this. And he sent people and all the stuff that they needed. I'm sharing with this, this with you for a reason. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 26. Why is God, according to Ezekiel's prophecy, going to be judging Tyre with these waves? Why is he judging them with these waves of attack from other nations? What was their attitude toward Jerusalem? They were happy that they got laid waste and they said, now we can take over. Now we can have it. Their attitude had changed. And I say that because we live in the United States of America, which has been an ally of Israel from the beginning. And when that changes, watch out. If that changes, watch out. And let me just tell you, as a whole, it's already begun. And if the people of the nation were allowed to, we probably wouldn't be an ally right now. You talk to most people today. And unfortunately, talk to many Christian churches today. They're not pro-Israel. They think that the nation of Israel are inhabiting other people's land. And folks, let me just tell you, if and when the nation of the United States changes their attitude toward Israel, God will be watching. And just like Tyre was an ally and then changed its mind, and God said, now I'm going to wipe you out because of it, There's no promise that won't happen to us as well. So while we are still here, while we are still being salt and light, please pray, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray that our leaders will be an ally to the nation of Israel. Because the moment we stop, remember what God said way, way back. And all those that curse you, I will curse. Go to Amos chapter 1. Sure, go for it. Did, uh, historically, has uh, Israel's border ever actually uh, reached Tyre? Um, when they began their conquest of the land of Canaan, they never fully took all the land that God had promised. And actually, never in the history of Israel has the exact borders that God promised in the scriptures to Israel, have they taken it all. That won't happen to the millennial kingdom. And then when we get to that part of Ezekiel, if God hadn't come and gotten us before that, when we get to those chapters in chapter 40 and below, uh, further on in, chapter, uh, in Ezekiel, you're going to see the boundaries where during the Millennial Kingdom, each of these tribes are going to be given, and you're going to find it's even way bigger than before. Because Abraham was told, all this land that you step foot on, I'm going to give it to you from here to here to here. So actually, has Israel ever li- lived in the land that God promised? Never. The boundaries that he gave them, they never fully. Because even though they did conquer most of the nations during they first went in, they didn't fully obey God. And they didn't totally wipe them all out like they were supposed to. And actually, you're going to see that the areas, and we'll get to that in our study when we get there, the areas that they were given 
which tribe was given where in the first time they went into the land is totally different from when they go in the millennial kingdom. It's not going to be where the tribes were before. It moves. It's different. That's one of the evidences that Ezekiel chapter 40 and following is talking about the millennial kingdom and not something else because the boundaries and the places where each of the tribes are to be given lot is totally different from the first time they went in. But that's a long answer to a short question. Did, have they ever fulfilled the boundaries God gave them? They haven't yet. They've not. But they will. They will. In Amos chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, look at, it says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Tyre and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall devour her strongholds. Now we see a prophecy from the prophet Amos about Tyre, but this time the reason why God is going to judge them is different than the reason why we see in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, it's because of their attitude toward Jerusalem being besieged by Nebuchadnezzar and how they thought, hey, now we can take over the land. But here in Amos, why is God going to judge Tyre? Okay, it's a punishment. They didn't remember the covenant of brotherhood and they delivered a, a whole people to Edom. In other words, they took a certain nation that they used to be, have a brotherhood with, and they took that nation and sold them as slaves. Well, which nation is that? Don't guess. Let's let the scripture tell us. Go to Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3. Look at verses 4 through 8. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you're paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my, riches, my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will send your sons and your daughters into the hands of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans. To a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. So who did Tyre break their covenant of brotherhood with and take the people and sell them as slaves? The Jews. God kept track. God kept track. Go to Ezekiel chapter 27. See, there's three chapters that deal with Tyre here. The first one was a prophecy against Tyre. Now I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 36. And we're going to look at this lament for Tyre. By the way, a lament is like a dirge or a funeral song. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read it. The word of the Lord came to me. Now you, son of man, raise a lament, lamentation over Tyre and say to Tyre, who dwells at the entrances to the sea, merchant of the peoples to many coastlands, thus says the Lord God, O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are in the heart of the seas. Your builders made perfect your beauty. They made all your planks of fir trees from Sinir. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make a mast for you. Oh, of oaks of Bashan, they made your oars. They made your decks of pines and from the coast of Cyprus inlaid with ivory. Let me stop real quick and help you out for a second. This will make it easier for you to stick with me. In this lament, the city or the nation of Tyre is described as a great ship. Okay, so it's a word picture. As they describe Tyre, it's being described as a great ship. All right. Of verse 7, a fine embroidered linen from Egypt was your sail, serving as your banner. Blue and purple from the coast of Elisha was your awning. The inhabitants of Sidon and Arvad were your rowers. 
Your skilled men, O Tyre, were in you, and they were your pilots. The elders of Gebal and her skilled men were in you, caulking your seams. All the ships of the sea with their mariners were in you to barter for your wares. Persia and Lud and Put were in your army as, men of, as your men of war. They hung the shield and helmet in you. They gave you splendor. Men of Arvad and Helak were in your, on your walls all around, of men, and men of Gamad were in your towers. They hung their shields on your walls all around, and they made perfect your beauty. Tarshish did business with you because of your great wealth of every kind. Silver, iron, tin, and lead they exchanged for your wares. Javan and Tubal and Meshach traded with you. They exchanged human beings and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. From Beth to Garma they exchanged horses, war horses, and mules for your wares. The men of Dedan traded with you. Many coastlands were your own special markets, and they brought you in payment ivory, tusks, and ebony. Syria did business with you because of your abundant goods. They exchanged your wares, sorry, for your wares, emeralds, purple, embroidered work, fine linen, coral, and ruby. Judah and the land of Israel traded with you, and they exchanged you for your merchandise, wheat of Mineth, meal, honey, oil, and balm. Damascus did business with you for your abundant goods because of your great wealth of every kind. Wine of Helbon and wool of Shahar, or Sahar, and casks of wine from Uzal they exchanged for your wares, wrought iron, cassia, and calmus were bartered for your merchandise. Dedan traded with you in saddlecloths for riding. Arabia and all the princes of Kedar were your favored dealers in lambs and rams and goats. In these they did business with you. The traders of Sheba and Ramah traded with you. They exchanged for your wares the best of all kinds of spices and all precious stones and gold. Haran, Cana, and Eden, traders of Sheba, Asher, and Kilmad traded with you. In your market these traded with you in your choice garments in clothes of blue and embroidered work, and in carpets of colored material, bound with cords and made secure. The ships of Tarshish traveled for you with your merchandise. So you were filled and heavily laden in the heart of the seas. Your rowers have brought you out into the high seas. The east wind has wrecked you in the heart of the seas. Your riches, your wares, your merchandise, your mariners, and your pilots, and your caulkers, and your dealers in merchandise, and all your men of war who are in you, with all your crew that is in your midst, sink into the heart of the seas on the, the day of your fall. At the sound of the cry of your pilots, the countryside shakes, and down from their ships come all who handle the oar. The mariners and all the pilots of the sea stand on the land and shout aloud over you and cry out bitterly. They cast dust on their heads and wallow in ashes. They make themselves bald for you and put sackcloth on their waist. And they weep over you in bitterness of soul with bitter mourning in their wailing. They raise a lamentation for you and lament over you. Who is like Tyre, like one destroyed in the midst of the sea? When your wares came from the seas, you satisfied many peoples. With your abundant wealth and merchandise, you enriched the kings of the earth. Now you are wrecked by the seas in the depths of the waters. Your merchandise and all your crew in your midst have sunk with you. All the inhabitants of the coastlands are appalled at you, and the hair of their kings bristles with horror. Their faces are convulsed. The merchants among the peoples hiss at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Like I said, in this chapter, Israel writes this lament of, or a dirge for the city of Tyre, and the city of Tyre is described as a great ship that goes down in judgment. But if we're not going to take the time, if you were to look at a map to see all the cities that were listed as merchants of Tyre, you remember how many we just named? How many was it? Okay, good. I don't know either. But there, but there were so many of them. Actually, on the map, you will see they go even as far as Spain. 
because it was such a wealthy place and it was easy to get to because it was that fortified fortress island out there and they were having all the ability to trade from there, all these nations came and traded with them. And when even though it was a very well-known, popular, powerful, rich nation and all the nations traded with them, God brought judgment on them so that the rest of the nations would see. And ultimately, as we see, there'll be no more at the final end. And they're not much right now as it is. They're pretty much decimated. Now, again, what was Tyre's reason for demise? We've already been seeing this kind of all the way through. In Ezekiel chapter 26, what was Tyre's reason for demise according to God's prophecy through Ezekiel? They thought they could take over the land. But in Amos and Joel, the reason that they were judged was why? They had taken the Jews and sold them as slaves and broken their covenant of brotherhood that they had had. Here, though, go back to chapter 27 and look at verse 3. And say to Tyre, who dwells at the entrance to the sea, merchants of the peoples to many coastlands, thus says the Lord God, O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Pride. Has anybody ever heard anybody say, the United States of America is not going to go down? We're the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. Anybody going to take us over? Folks, I'm telling you, I'm not saying that this is all prophecies about the U.S., but we can learn a lot. We can learn a lot. All the things that Tyre did, we do or are doing. I, I put in my notes here. They had become proud of their beauty and their prominence in the world because of their trading powers. We need to stay humble as a nation. And always remember that we are the nation that we are under God. Plain and simple. We need to be reminded daily and pray that as a nation and leadership, remember we are who we are because of God. The moment we forget God and think it's because of us and we are and we are and we are, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And that's all we're going to do in chapter 27 because I want to spend the rest of our time in chapter 28. If anybody wants to do for extra credit come up with a song and sing that chapter 27 to us next week with musical instrumentation as well for even extra credit that'd be awesome we've saved the dance floor here in the middle for you here so go to Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 1 through 19 <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to me son of man say to the prince of Tyre by the way the word prince and king is going to be used interchangeably here thus says the Lord God because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods, in the heart of the seas. Yet you're but a man and no God. Though you make your heart like the heart of a God, you are indeed wiser than Daniel, sarcasm. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and your trade, you have increased your wealth and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your own your heart like the heart of a God. Therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and the defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say I am a God in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God in the hands of those who slay you? You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. 
Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared, and you were anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Now we're going to stop here. And in a little bit, we'll come back to the prophecy about Sidon. But we're just going to deal with these verses. Remember, chapter 26 was a prophecy about the nation of Tyre and the city of Tyre. And then we also have in chapter 27, the dirge or the lament about the, the, the city of Tyre. And then chapter 28, though, is a prophecy about who? The king of Tyre. But as you probably noticed as I read, it sure sounded a lot about the king of Tyre, but then something happened about verse 11. Or all of a sudden your brain started going, this can't be talking about the king of Tyre anymore. Well, and I'll explain that in just a little bit. Here is Ezekiel's prophesying about the king of Tyre. And at this time, remember in the 11th year, in the first month and so on, when he was given this prophecy... The king of Tyre is Itobal II, I-T-T-O hyphen B-A-A-L II. As you're going to see, though, the prophecy is deeper than just about the king of Tyre. God is speaking also to the spirit of the one behind the king's actions. And by verse number 11, we see the prophecy is speaking more of Satan than the earthly king. And I'll get into that in a little bit. We see that Itobal II saw himself as a god. This is the same attitude that Satan tried on Adam and Eve. You remember back in Genesis chapter 3? We're not going to turn there because of time. Verses 1 through 5. What does, God, what does Satan promise Adam and Eve? If they eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one that God said don't eat from, you can be like God. Oh, go to Isaiah chapter 14. Look at verses 12 through 14 with me real quick. <clears throat> Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. By the way, in verse 12, if you were to go look at the actual Hebrew it says, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. In the Hebrew, it's actually Hillel. I actually think that that's Satan's name. You remember the, all the angels that we know that are listed? Their names end in El, Michael, Gabriel. The, in the Hebrew, it says Hillel. And translators have tried to figure out what Hillel means, and they've come up with day star, son of the dawn. Some say Lucifer. I think it's his name. I think his name was Hillel. 
Oh, you have fallen, Hillel, naming the actual cherub. Remember, we saw here in chapter 28, he's one of the guardian cherubs. We saw that earlier in our study. We've already kind of dug into chapter 28, so I'm not going to dive into that too much tonight. But it's obvious that Satan was one of the guardian cherubs who was there among the flames of fire and the coals of fire underneath the throne of God. Remember the whirling wheels and all that stuff, how God moved around? Satan was one of those guardian cherubs. Hillel was his name, I believe, without question. And he wanted to be God. Because of that, God removed him from his presence. Oh, sorry, from his position that he had. He still is able to be in the presence of God. The Bible says he accuses the brethren day and night. He won't be cast down to the earth finally, ultimately, until the midpoint of the tribulation where he's, a war is going to happen in heaven between him and Michael and the other angels, and he'll be cast down to the earth, and he'll know that his time is short. We may even time-wise get to some of that tonight. But here we see that the king of Tyre, his attitude was, I'm a god. Satan has been trying to get all of us to bite to that. They say, well, I don't, I don't struggle with the fact that I'm God. Oh, yeah, you do. Has anybody ever here been upset with how God did something and thought to yourself, I wouldn't have done it that way? Anybody ever felt that thought? Guess what? We've all got that. We've, it's in our flesh. We all bit from that same piece of fruit. It's been passed down to all of us. But this king didn't realize it and repent. He thought, I'm a God. I love how the prophecy said, are you going to still say I'm a God when the people are killing you? Try that out on them, by the way, while they're killing you. It won't work. God knows how to humble those who fall prey to Satan's ploys. Write this down and look at it later on. But in Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 37, you'll see that God even dealt with Nebuchadnezzar at one point. Nebuchadnezzar was becoming pretty proud, and God had blessed Nebuchadnezzar by his own purposes. Remember, God had chosen that he, he decides who's in power and who has the authority, and for a season, he let Nebuchadnezzar be the king of kings over the whole globe and reign over the globe. And when that was happening, Nebuchadnezzar went out and stood over his property and said, man, look at all this wealth. Look at all this stuff I got. And God had already warned him through the prophet Daniel that because of this, God's going to have to humble you, and you're going to go seven years and you're going to crawl around on the ground like an animal and eat only grass. And when he did that attitude of, look at all the stuff I got, and acted like he was a god, God struck him down. And for seven years, he walked around and ate grass and had the dew of the, of the, on him, the Bible said. And after that time period, he got his sanity back, and he remembered that God was God. Interestingly enough, did anybody catch that Ezekiel is prophesying to the king of Tyre, and he mentions Daniel? Where is Daniel at this time? He's in Babylon. He's working for Nebuchadnezzar as one of his prize leaders. Yet the fame of Daniel had spread throughout the globe to the point that he could, you think you're as wise as Daniel. King of Tyre knew who Daniel was. Isn't that amazing? The king of Tyre wouldn't have said, Daniel, who? He knew who Daniel was. It's an interesting little point there. Satan himself, by the way, not only does God know how to deal with those who think they're gods, Satan himself is waiting for the day in which God's going to deal with him. Let me just show you real quickly some of those. I just want to remind you that even though as someone uh, texted me today when they got the report about my cancer not fully being gone, this person wrote to me and said, boy, sure sounds a lot like Satan, doesn't it? How he just won't quit. And I thought, you know what, that's a really good point. We know, where, we know where cancer came from. 
and cancer's acting a lot like Satan. <laughs> As you know, he came after Jesus, and the scripture said that he left him until a more opportune time. He kept coming back. He kept coming back. But in Revelation chapter 12, look at verses 7 through 12. It says, Now a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath, because he knows his time is short. Just like God has always dealt with people on the earth, humans who think they're God, and he knows how to deal with them and humble them, Satan is going to be dealt with as well. And at that point, at the midpoint of the tribulation, when he's sent down to the earth, and he's going to indwell the Antichrist, he knows that his time is short. He knows exactly how much time he has left, and he's going to be on a war path. Go to Revelation chapter 20, though. Look at verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So we know that he's going to be cast down to the earth when he loses the battle against Michael and his angels. And he's going to be cast down to the earth in the midpoint of the tribulation. But at the end of that three and a half years... God's going to take him and capture him, and he's going to throw him into the abyss and the pit, seal it up for a thousand years. But after that, he's going to be released for a little bit. But don't be too alarmed. Look at verse 7 and following of chapter 20. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, their numbers like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast was and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So he will be dealt with ultimately his days coming. By the way, are we in the millennial kingdom now? Are we in the millennial period because Satan is bound and not deceiving anybody? I don't know how anybody can think that we're in that time period now. Satan is still deceiving many people, including that guy that stood up in the Las Vegas hotel room shooting people. You can't tell me for a second that Satan is not deceiving people. He's not bound yet. Yes, sir, Alan. In the New Testament, when Jesus said he saw Satan being cast down from heaven, is he speaking of the future as in the past? I think it's both. Remember, he also lost his position. So there's a falling in that sense. But there's also a future falling that's going to happen. Remember, to God, it's all now. So he can see the future as it's now. But I think it's both. I think it's both. When he lost his position of the guardian cherub and became what we know of as Satan. But also I think it's the future. It's when he's ultimately cast out of the presence of God. Midpoint of the tribulation. At the midpoint of the tribulation, the Bible's real clear that that's when he's going to be cast down to the earth and he's not allowed in the presence of God anymore. He's allowed right now. Remember from Job chapters 1 and 2? When the angels appear, Satan appears with him. 
People say, oh, Satan can't be in the presence of God. God can't be in the presence of evil. Yes, Satan appears before him all the time. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 8 that he's the accuser of the brethren. But God's interceding on our behalf. Satan's in his presence right now. He can come and go. But there will be a point where he's no longer allowed in heaven. And he'll be cast down to the earth at that time. And he knows that his time is short. And the scripture says he comes and indwells the Antichrist. Now, we shouldn't be surprised, by the way, folks, back in chapter 28 of Ezekiel, we shouldn't be surprised to see God speaking to the king of Tyre and to Satan at the same time. For some reason, people have a hard time with that. They're like, well, is he talking to the king of Tyre? Is he talking to Satan? Which is it? And I'm going to show you that actually Jesus did the same thing and none of us have a problem with it. Go to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, look at verses 21 through 23. So from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. So is he talking to Peter, or is he talking to Satan? Yes. He's talking to Peter, but he's really talking to the one who's talking through Peter right now. And when God is prophesying through Ezekiel in chapter 28 to the king of Tyre, he's not only talking to the king of Tyre, he's talking to the one who's influencing the king of Tyre. You'll see that in the book of Job as well. As God's dealing with Job, you'll see that in his conversations with Job at the end of the book of Job, God's really talking to Satan as well. As he says to Job, let me ask you a few questions. By the end of that time period, at the end of those four chapters, when he's using creation to describe who he is and how, who Job is, he's also talking to Satan. Because when he describes Leviathan, the fire-breathing dragon, by the way, it's not a crocodile like our Bibles try to tell us, it was a fire-breathing dragon. You go back and look at it. You'll see it very clearly. It was a fire-breathing dragon. There was an actual creature called Leviathan, which, by the way, which was a serpent that had many heads. A dragon that had many heads. Does that sound familiar? Sound like Revelation to anybody? The Bible actually shows us. It's not just mentioned in Job. It's mentioned in the book of Psalms as well. It actually says, I think in chapter 110, that God killed the heads of Leviathan. God created an animal on the earth that humans could not do anything with. They couldn't touch it. It was so big and powerful that its tail made the seas foam, the scripture said. And God says to Job, can you do anything with Leviathan? Can you even handle him? Can you, you, try to, you try to humble him and you try to make him your pet, you won't do that again. But at the end of the description of Leviathan, Leviathan is described as the father of all who are proud. How could an animal that God created, which by the way, God destroyed... How could an animal be the father of all who are proud? Oh, he wasn't talking about that animal specifically. He was talking about the one it represented that he had made. And here he's speaking to Itobal II. But he's really also talking to the one who's influencing Itobal. And he says, I know who's really doing this. You were a guardian cherub. You were perfect in all your ways. And the day you were created, you were even allowed to be in the mountain of God. And Eden... I made you in perfection till unrighteousness was found in you and I had to cast you from my presence. Go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Look at verses 20 through 26. We always hear about Tyre and Sidon together. Once again, Sidon is mentioned along with Tyre. 
The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face towards Sidon and prophesy against her and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Sidon. I will manifest my glory in your midst, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgments in her and manifest my holiness in her. For I will send pestilence in her and blood into her streets, and the slain shall fall in her midst by the sword that is against her on every side. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And for the house of Israel, there shall be no more a briar to prick or a thorn to hurt them among all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. They will know that I am the Lord. Actually, let's just keep reading to the end of the chapter here. Thus says the Lord God, When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they shall dwell in their own land that I gave to my servant Jacob, and they shall dwell securely in it, and they shall build houses and plant vineyards. They shall dwell securely when I execute judgments upon all their neighbors who have treated them with the contempt. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God. Here we see a prophecy about Sidon, and at the same time, prophecy about the restoration of Israel in the land. But let's talk about Sidon for a little bit. Like I said, we often hear of Tyre and Sidon together. Sidon was a sister seaport of Tyre, 23 miles to the north. Remember, Tyre was a city on the seacoast which had an island fortress. But Sidon was also a seacoast city which was 23 miles to the north. Sidon was the center of Baal worship, and the Sidonians led the people of Israel astray to worship Baal. Does anybody remember the king of Tyre's name again? Ito Baal. He even took on the name of that god. Go to Judges chapter 10. Look at verses 6 through 9. Judges chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. It says, The people of Israel did, again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord their God and did not serve Him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He sold them into the hands of the, Ammonites, hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Amorite, Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. Look again at verse um, 6. People of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Syria, and the gods of who? Sidon. That's where Baal worship was headquartered. And God said that when he judges Tyre, he's also, don't, I haven't forgotten you, by the way. I haven't forgotten you, Sidon. I'm going to deal with you as well. Now, A major part of why God had and will judge these nations is because of how they treated who? Israel. Now, I'm going to close tonight in the time we have left to show you how we have a lot to learn from Tyre and Sidon. I've already mentioned a little bit of what we have to learn from Tyre and Sidon, but I want you to hear from Jesus himself. Go to Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, look at verses 13 through 16. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. 
And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So here Jesus said, it's going to be easier on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it will be for Capernaum and Bethsaida. Isn't that interesting? Capernaum and Bethsaida are cities in Israel. We've just read how God took three chapters to deal with Tyre in Ezekiel. He didn't even spend that much time on the Ammonites and the Moabites and even the Edomites who were going to be wiped out. But he spends three chapters on Tyre and the judgment that is coming on Tyre. But he said it's going to be easier on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than it will be for Capernaum and Bethsaida. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 20 through 24. Then he, Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, there'll be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So here again, we see Matthew's account. And Jesus says it's going to be easier on the day of judgment for those cities in, in Israel than it will be for tyrants, sorry, for the cities of Tyre and Sidon than it will be for the cities of Israel. He said, actually, if the works that had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. And they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. They would have repented like Nineveh did. So what is Jesus saying to us that we need to learn from Tyre and Sidon? Or from Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazin? Well, the answer is in Luke 12. Look at verses 47 and 48. Jesus says, and that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Here Jesus shows us what's going on. He said, actually, if the works that have been done in you were done there, they would have repented. In other words, you guys got to see more. I believe without question, Tyre and Sidon had enough light from God to repent. He always gives us what we need in order to repent. He would never expect us to repent if he didn't give it to us to be able to see it. Because, again, you hopefully understand the scripture is very clear that if I repent, if you repent, it's because God opened your eyes. We don't have the ability within us. In Romans chapter 3, we love to quote verse 10, where it says, there's no one righteous, not even one. Very few people know verse 11. Verse 11 says, there's no one who seeks God. There's no one who understands. Without God opening our eyes, no one can come to me, Jesus said in John 4, chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I'll raise them up on the last day. Tyre and Sidon got enough light in order to respond. God would not have expected them to repent and not given them what they needed in order to repent. But 
in comparison, Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, they got more light. They got more opportunities. They saw God himself walking in their midst. It wasn't just a prophet that he sent to them or a prophet that he had write a letter to them. He, they had God himself walking in their midst. He was doing miracles in their presence. Prophecies were being fulfilled in their day, and they ignored it. And he says, on the day of judgment, it's going to go easier on Tyre and Sidon than it will be for you. Why? Because those who knew and had it open to them and didn't do what they're supposed to do will be beaten with a heavy beating. And those who didn't know but did what deserved a beating will be deserved with a light beating or beaten with a light beating. Folks, I've been referencing the United States all night. Is there a nation that has been given more light than us? I don't believe there has been. I don't believe there has been. And the way that we started and the way that God began this nation, you can go back and look at the walls of Harvard and the cornerstones of some of our buildings. Though People don't realize Harvard is against God as it is now. Used to be a seminary. Was created so that ministers would be trained to preach the gospel. You can go read some of their cornerstones. That's why it was made. But as a nation, we've turned our back on all the light that we've received, and it's continuing to get worse and worse, and I think the Bible shows us that judgment's coming. But until then, what is our job as the salt and the light? We're to speak truth and love. We're to pray. We're to live out the light. And understand that on the day of judgment, though, it's going to go easier for Tyre and Sidon than it probably will be for the United States. To whom much is given, much will be required. If God's shown you stuff, I'm just going to say it as nicely as I can, act on it. If he's shown you things, act on it. Don't push it aside. You know why? Because the more we practice tuning him out, the better we get at it. And the Bible describes that as a hardening of our heart. And there comes a point where our hearts become so hard we're not able to respond anymore. I don't know who's listening to this tonight. Whoever I get an, a thing on an update via our website every month as to where in the globe people have actually clicked on to Just the Preacher Ministries. It's an amazing thing to see. It shows a map all over the globe. It will light up where people all over the globe have gone to the website and the numbers of people and what God is doing. And it even tells us how many people went to each Bible study and listened and all this. Folks, it will blow your mind what God is doing through these Wednesday night or Tuesday night Bible studies and how people are listening to them all over the globe. So I don't know who's listening tonight as I speak to you here, the folks in this room, but if God has spoken to you, time is running out. Respond to what he said. If he's dealing with you about something, don't push him aside because it gets easier and easier and one day you don't hear. We've been given much. Make sure that we're acting on what he's given to us. I love y'all. We'll see you next week.